Welcome, and thank you for listening to this episode of Leaps and Bounds. I'm your host, Tom Bash, and I'm thrilled to be bringing you conversations with some of the most successful CEOs, sales leaders, and home improvement professionals. When I started in this industry 20 years ago, tearing off roofs, I had no idea about what went into making a home improvement business successful. Now, having met with thousands of contractors, helping them adopt technology, and watching them grow, I'm excited to invite them on to share what's made them successful, what they're doing today to stay ahead of their competition, and the advice they have for others. On today's episode, I'm joined by Kimba Garcia, CEO of RKG Roofing. Listen as we talk about her humble beginnings and the lessons she's learned along the way. We'll also discuss what it's like to be CEO, the triumphs and struggles, and how she's using her experiences to help others realize their dreams. As an insurance restoration contractor in Texas, we'll dive into how she differentiates herself, what she hopes to see the industry evolve into, and how she goes about recruiting quality people. Well, I'm excited to get this show started, so let's go. Hi, Kimba. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on here. Absolutely. Uh, I always like to start these shows off by sort of understanding how you got into the industry and and roofing of all things. You know, it's... uh, you, most people don't grow up and say like, I want to be a roofer. You know, <laughs> my daughter's between right. like wanting to be an astronaut and wanting to be a hairdresser. And she, she doesn't know what she wants to do. But it, unfortunately, it's not like I want to be in the trades or I want to do roofing or I want to do this. So how, how'd you get to, to, to be in this industry? I have to say that I'm a kindred spirit with your daughter because I wanted to be an astronaut whenever I was younger. And I was a hairstylist for a decade go. of my life. That's actually what I did. I was a hairstylist before I got into roofing. I actually got into it following my husband's passion. He is very into building. We actually started off more in the renovation space and in doing some house flips, we ended up doing roofing as well. And Robbie grew up doing roofing. He has been installing shingles since he was about 10 years old. I always make the joke because I'm in Texas, you know, it's always make the joke that he's a true Garcia was installing, (laughs) (laughs) installing the shingles at a young age, but I followed, um, his passion into the business and created the business around his talent, basically. So still to this day, Robbie runs production and field operations, and I run the ins and outs of the business side of the business. Nice. Now, has, has he ever made you, uh, you know, carry a bundle up or up the ladder or do any of that stuff? Now, I do get on roofs, but I don't carry the shingles up there. I don't. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's interesting how people get get into this business. So can you tell our audience a little bit more about you know what RKG, RKG does? Yeah, absolutely. So at RKG, we actually have two different divisions of our company. One of them is roofing. The other one is restorations. We specialize in insurance restoration, whether that's from hail damage, tornadoes, flood, fire, all of the things. Um, that's, that's the space that, that we really focus on. We have an office out of Fort Worth, Prosper, and we just branched into Austin. So we have three markets here in Texas. And I have 25 reps that work for us right now, four in-house roofing crews and three in-house renovation crews. And then of course we have our subs that we work with you know, outside of that as like right now, everybody's so slammed, you know, between the freeze and all the hailstorms were slammed. So we're bringing in some of our reliable subs, but we really take a lot of passion and getting proper coverage so that people have enough money to actually complete a quality project and don't get stuck in the space of, 
having to try to find cheap labor to accommodate what the carrier decided to pay out. You know, we specialize in being able to write up a proper estimate and be able to talk through why we need that money to build proper quality construction work and be able to get our customers not only made back up to whole, but our goal is always to leave them better than we found them. Yeah, that, that, that brings up a good, uh, a good point. Like I've heard that the average roof in that Dallas Fort Worth market lasts like three and a half to four years. Is that, right. is that, is that something you hear too? Yeah, we, we definitely hear it. Not only hear it, but I see it, you know, because yeah. it's what I do day in and day out. It's not, sometimes people think, oh, my roof is three to seven years old is usually what I hear people say, my roof's new. And they think that because they have a 25, 30 year shingle on there. But what a lot of people don't realize is that the manufacturer is not accounting for weather. And here in DFW, we get a lot of weather. We get a lot of weather in Texas. So you're absolutely right. A roof, it's not abnormal to see a roof between five and seven years old be completely totaled out. Yeah. Now, I've also heard that I've also heard there's something like 35 or 4,500 roofing contractors in that DFW area. Like, how do you differentiate yourself from you know, everybody else out there that's, that's trying to compete for the same business? You know, that that is challenging. And it's why I hear a lot of people stay out of this market. They say that it's too competitive. But I guess that's up for perspective, right? Because out of those 4,800 or whatever we have, how many of those guys are actually doing things the right way? I don't consider about 4,000 of those people to be my competitor at all. And the reason why is there's no license required in my market to do what we do, which means that truck in the truck in the truck and stand in the van can go down to Home Depot, buy a ladder, and they are now a roofing contractor, but you don't always know what you're going to get. So I actually built out a page on our website and I call it what to ask a contractor before you make a hire. And the reason that I did this is because I wanted to empower our market to be able to have the interview questions that they needed to make sure that they got a good roofing system put on their house. If that's not by RKG, my goal is that you end up with somebody that's just going to do it right. Because as long as the guys that are doing it right are sticking together, we won't have, we don't have 4,800 competitors. There's 20, 30, 40 of us out here, maybe actually doing homeowners correctly and building roofs out the right way and standing behind the work as far as our warranties go. So it, it feels very competitive, but what people don't realize is that a lot of those guys, I'm just going to say it. A lot of those people are a joke and they're not competitors at all. And there are customers for contractors like that. That's not my customer and that's okay. Yeah. It, uh, what do they say? Like rising tides lift all ships. And so, uh, yes, that, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, no, that's great. And I think as you all, um, set the standard, that's going to, mm -hmm. um, hold everybody else accountable to, to those standards. And I've always found that the more I educated the homeowner, the more likely they were to go with me as well. You know, if I'm competing with, as you said, chucking a truck or larying a ladder, peeing a pickup. There's so many of these, of <laughs> so these many things. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you're competing against them and, and all you're competing in, uh, on is, is, you know, uh, price or deductible mm -hmm. or, or, you know, basic things, uh, you don't really differentiate yourself and stand out. So uh, exactly. I think that's great. What, what, what are you doing from a branding perspective uh, to, to really help you stand out? You know, all the things first are down to our logo. It's, it's very bold. It's very loud, red and black. You don't miss us. Um, and you know, really before, before the brand started gaining the traction that it has today, well, it's kind of like that, that snowball effect, right? I don't have to try as hard to get out there and do my branding. It's I have reps and 
and we have that trajectory of our branding that that's taken over now, but I started by living the brand. I mean, I'm always in our gear. We're putting, you know, I'm handing out the lanyards. It's just getting that brand out there. But the biggest, the two biggest things that I did in building RKG's brand was one really becoming a cornerstone of the community. You know, we do things like sponsoring the little leagues and I, I used pre-COVID, actually hosted networking events as well once a quarter. I want to start doing that again now that we're kind of getting over the things. But um, I would host networking events to bring the community together. I would bring together realtors, homeowners, different, um, you know, AC contractors, security system. But we'd have a little event. It was fun. We would have food and drinks and everybody would just kind of mingle. And that that was really popular and talked about. We also do community give back projects for, I just said COVID. So I'll use that one as an example. When the lockdown happened, we delivered food to elderly people. And we also did a give back one time for the homeless community. And what I did is I utilized social media to help the community actually get to be part of that give back. So for every for every 50 shares that our post got, we would donate 50 more bags to the homeless people. And we really allowed people to see who we are. Not only, I say we're not just a roofing contractor, but we actually care about the community and get involved in the community. And that's really become a staple of how we're known here. People, people truly know that we care about the community and that we want to give back to the community. And that's huge. So that along with social media and running that hand in hand with social media has really helped our brand and just overall success of the company really take off because people want to do business with people that they know that they like and that they trust. Right. So, so that's really been the name of the branding game. Yeah, absolutely. I had uh, I had Charles Antis of Antis Roofing on here uh, uh, several episodes ago, and he talked about cause marketing a lot and all yeah. the things that they're doing in, that, in, in Orange County in California and uh, how well it resonates with the community. And, and that's really been like, I think he actually told me that he stopped spending on marketing because of, of the cause marketing and the initiatives he was running there. It was just, it was really boosting the brand. So that's, that's good to hear. Yeah, um, I, yeah that's I, amazing. I, I also wanted to, uh, I wanted to touch on you know, I, I understand like you ventured out into coaching and consulting. And so I want to know like, what's that, yeah, what's that been like and, and why'd you decide to do it? You know, it's been really interesting. I, I decided to, I decided to branch into that space out. It was a demand. Honestly, I had people that were contacting me, asking me questions just from the content that I was putting out. They, and I realized that a lot of business owners went through are going through what I just survived. And what I mean by that is being in the trenches of the business and knowing, trying to figure out cash flow and branding and marketing and how do we attract the right talent? And then how do we retain them once we do get them? How do we, how do we create a great culture and provide great systems and processes and great training? And that was a bus that I honestly threw myself in front of for my company because it was not a strong point of any of ours. I mentioned Robbie, Robbie was in building. And I came, we actually used to work under GCs. So we didn't have a brand and a face or anything. We were the sub crew. Yeah. And I came to my husband and I said, hey, we can sell stuff. You know, I'm really great with people. I'm really great with building relationships. I'm good with branding. I had my own business as a cosmetologist and my own hair studio. And I just took everything there and applied it over here. But what I had to learn was business. That was the part. It was, okay, we know how to make money. Making money is the easy part. Now, how do we keep it? 
How do we ensure our profit margin is going to be there? And I see a lot of small business owners that are going through that. They dive into something because they're passionate about it. They dive into it because they can sell things and they know that they can make money. And then what they figure out is that there's all these other things like taxes, cash flow, employees. Um, you know, I, I always joke now, I'm like, I have to talk to the attorneys and the CPAs and all the things to keep the back end of the business stable so that we can yeah. focus on our passion. And I realized that the same bus that I'd thrown myself into learned survival and came out on the other side of was something that a lot of business owners are still really struggling with. And what I realized was that it's not as hard as we make it. That business is actually very simple. People are very complicated. And when we can get down to the simplicity of our systems and processes and start to break that down, it, it completely changes your life. I come from nothing from nowhere, really. I grew up very, very, very humble. And when I started realizing that just changing a couple percentages here and there in my business would propel my entire life financially, my children's life, break a generational way that we look at finances and money, um, the hardships became worth it. And after I changed my life and had people reaching out to me, I mean, celebrating the fact that I had done it, congratulating me, asking me how they could do it. I decided that I didn't, I honestly don't have the time to do that on an individual level at the rate that it was coming at me. And I wanted to build out a platform where I could continue to provide resources for people, share the resources and knowledge that I had acquired. So I built out a website. I started with a blog. I threw up a YouTube channel. And now I do a little bit of one-on-one -on -one consulting. It's definitely something that I want to grow more into. But it's a passion project for me, honestly, because I realized that on the other side of learning these things, you get to go from owning your job to being the CEO of your company to having that life freedom and financial freedom that we all do this for to begin with, right? And so, and so that's what CEO AF is. And that's why I named it that because there's a difference in being in the trenches, being the one that's actually have to turn the wrenches every day, and then being the one that's building out the machine and getting to focus on the vision. It's two different places that you come to. And so I was driving down the road one day and I'm like, you know what? It's mindset, it's focus, it's SOPs, it's human development, it's leadership. That's what makes you CEO AF. And that's what some people looking to get out of the trenches, they just need to fill in a couple little blanks so that they can make that jump from being in their job to owning the company and actually having something that will be a generational brand that they can pass down to their children. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I'm always talking to people about there's a big difference between working in your business and working on your business. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a lot of people, you know, they 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 really excel as a sales rep, and then they want to go and start their own business, which is great. Yeah. But you're right, they're missing that um, that aptitude of the business. And oftentimes, you know, we all f fall, we all fail, and it's it's not about you know failing; it's about getting back up and and learning from those experiences. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's great to know that like you know you. You, you went through this process and learned and learned and learned and now want to give back and share that information for others to, uh, to learn from. So I love Thank that. You. Yeah, Thank you. I wanted to, I wanted to touch on, you know, we talked about, you know, what, how you're helping other folks, but what does your day to day look like as a CEO? Well, I wake up about five o'clock in the morning and from there, I either dive into a book or yoga. Usually the mornings are for me. I wake up early, but that's honestly my natural alarm clock. I don't set an alarm at five o'clock and like peel my eyes open and force myself out of bed. I've, luckily over the last, I used to, 
But over the last yeah. few years, I developed good sleep habits. And now I go to bed early and I wake up early and start to crush the day. You know, we really have a lot more mental aptitude in the mornings as humans. We just, we just do when we're well rested and we wake up in the morning, there's a lot of brain power. So for yeah. me, that's my time to read, to journal, to brainstorm. Um, I do yoga every morning before, before I leave. And, um, I either meditate in my yoga or that's something that I do separately. But for me, the mornings are about mindset, about growth, because growth has to happen every day, especially as a CEO, because you can't be the single point of failure for your company. You can't be the bottleneck of your company and your company can never outgrow you. So for me, my primarily, my primary focus Every day, first thing in the morning is making sure that I'm growing, that I'm staying sharp to be the tip of the sphere, that my mind is clear, that my attitude is positive. And so I have to really have to prepare myself to get on the stage before I ever walk into my office to support my team. Right. So after I do that, I'm dropping the kids off at school, head to the office, walk in. Um, From there, it depends. I spend a lot of my time bouncing around between departments. I do have my office team, my supplement team, my production team and roofing, my production team and renovations, my salespeople, um, managers. So there's a lot of different moving pieces and I'm digging in reports to either find efficiencies. Where can we do better? What can we do better? But you know, a lot of my day is spent. I walk in the office and it's, it's serving my team. It's how can I help you? It's where can we get better? It's what's the next step for us. And, um, you know, really be in the center point of the synergy at RKG that keeps the ball rolling, that keeps everybody moving in a good, positive forward direction, as well as, um, you know, people development. I, I cultivate salespeople for a living, right? That's, that's I recruit and I cultivate salespeople. I usually re- recruit my salespeople in green. So that's why I say I cultivate them. So a lot of, a lot of my personal time also gets poured back into that and to um, training their mindset. I love to bring people into roof. I, I love what you said. Nobody grows up and dreams to be a roofer, but for a lot of people, right. it ends up being the source from that blue collar, almost even poverty lifestyle to they're living their best life and they're able Absolutely. to actually create other investments that changes their family's life generationally. And I love to introduce people into the storm restoration industry because I know that if they'll if they have the right skill sets, the right mindset with the right training, they can absolutely change their life the same way I did mine. And I I that's my favorite thing in my business to do is teach people what they can do with the right application. Right. So um, that's usually what my day looks like. When I get home, I'm hammering through emails, jumping on consulting calls, doing podcasts in the afternoons. You know, it just kind of <laughs> depends what gets hit on my calendar. It's never the same day to day, though. And and I I I like that. I don't I don't like the mundane of the same day to day. So it, it's always changing. It's you're always catching whatever balls fall in, putting out whatever fires going on, you know, so it definitely stays interesting. I love that. Yeah, no, no two days are, are alike. Yeah, uh, you you touch on this a little bit, but what type of people do you do you look for when you're bringing on um, you know, new new sales reps? For me, whenever I'm looking for a sales rep, personality is honestly the most important thing. I I just don't think that you can. I always say I always say it like this: you can't take somebody that's really great at Excel and spreadsheets and data entry and turn them into a salesperson any more than you're ever going to take a sales personality and stick them behind a desk for 10 hours a day and expect them to be happy and thriving and successful at their job. 
because they're going to hate it. So the first thing that I look for is that outgoing bubbly personality that's okay with talking to anybody and everybody, right? There's also, um, you know, it's, ve it's very important that they are willing to learn and willing to grow. You know, that's another thing. They absolutely have to be coachable. And another thing that I look for is um, they have to be motivated by money to be good in sales. You know, not everybody's motivated by money. Some people are motivated by helping animals and elderly people, and that's great. And money just isn't their main motivation. So I, I always ask people that question openly. You know, what do you feel motivated by? Why do you want to get into storm restoration? Why do you want to make more money? I'm looking for things like that. But I also do want, I want them to be motivated by money, but I also want them to genuinely fall in love with helping people. Because if you get out there and you find people to help, the money is naturally going to follow. And as well as people that fit into, I hire and fire by my core values. So you have to be the kind of person that's going to wake up to win, own your shit, set the example, people, not a number, for example, those are a couple of my core values. So I'm always looking for people that are high driven, high personality. They want to be high performers. As long as they want to be a high performer, I can teach them how to be. Yeah. I've always said, I want, give me somebody who wants to learn and wants to do better and wants to grow. And that's the person that I want. You know, I feel like you can yes. teach people a lot of things, but they have to be willing and want, they have to want to better themselves and want to learn. Uh, how do you, how, how do you manage to retain these people? You know, it's, it's culture, it's training and it's back in support. Whenever I hear, whenever I talk to sales guys, just in the industry, one of the biggest complaints that I see, even in the groups is we don't have enough back and support. We have to do everything. We don't have time to sell because we're busy ordering materials and managing the crews and all those things. So I have a very strong back-end process that once you turn the contract into the office, we take it over from there. The materials start to be ordered. The crews start to be scheduled. Side trays start to be scheduled. So they have a lot of back-end support so they can focus on what I call the next carrot, right? Because that's a salesperson's personality too. They always want to be chasing the carrot. And I want them to do what they're good at. And so I have somebody that's a little bit more driven by data entry, by numbers, somebody that that's their strong point to sit down and really comb through the paperwork and order the materials and schedule the crews. And I think that that empowers our salespeople to be a lot more successful than they can be in other environments. But it's also really having, we're also big on teamwork. So at a lot of roofing companies, I'm noticing that a lot of the sales guys are lone wolves and it's almost stay out of my neighborhood and I'm not helping you. And we don't do that here. If, if that's yeah. if that's the kind of person you are, you probably won't fit into my culture very long. Uh, you know, our guys go out and team knock together and they share when they find neighborhoods that have good damage and people that are willing to do work with them and want to hear what they have to say and want to be empowered and educated to make a good decision for their home. So, you know, we do a lot of team building events around teamwork, culture, things like that, and then provide them with back and support. And, um, you know, so, so we're doing pretty good. I have salespeople that have been with me for a couple of years by now. And that's, you know, for my company to only be five years old, that's great. I have yeah. built a couple sales teams and lost them all the hard way too. So, you know, I've had, yeah. I've had sales teams recruited out by other companies and I had to challenge myself when that happened to me, I had to challenge myself to say, well, what could I do to provide an environment where they can be healthy, happy, successful, thriving, and now I really focus on, that's why I say, you know, I really prioritize coming in and saying, where can I help? Because I know that if I can help my salespeople reach their goals, 
they'll be happy. They'll be implanted. They'll want to grow right here with me. And so that's, that's always the goal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. What, uh, what are you most excited about? I am most excited. So I spent all of, I'm just going to be real vulnerable right now. At the end of 2019, I started noticing that my backend systems and processes were not no longer sustaining our revenue volume. They were broken. I was bleeding money. I had no idea where the money I was bleeding was going. But I remember looking up at the end of 2019, I had lost about $70,000 in that quarter and I had no idea where I lost it. So I went through and started strengthening up our systems and processes. And I fully believe that right now my systems and processes and my back end can support $20 million in revenue. And I'm excited to see that work. I've been really excited this year to see my processes and systems that I built out become duplicatable. I opened two more markets this year, and I'm excited to see those grow the same way as our Fort Worth market has. We're actually fixing to move into a bigger office. Our Fort Worth office, we're more than doubling the square footage. I've just hired a full-time trainer for my team. So right now, I'm, I'm very excited about the company's stability because I know that that's going to allow us to just continue to duplicate out the success down. And, you know, now it's not, I'm not struggling to keep the lights on anymore. Again, I come from very humble beginnings, right? So it's not, it's not about... Honestly, if, if financially I stayed exactly where I am and I continue to make investments like I've learned to make, I'm good. My kids are good. My family's good. So I'm excited now. It's about building up the next, the next level of the company. Those, those mid-level managers right now, I want to build all them out teams. I want them to be the CEO of their own little team and have their own team that they pour into and inspire to change their life. And I've really brought in a lot of support and training around making that happen. So I'm pumped. We move into our new office in about 30 days. And, um, you know, I'm just really excited for the freshness that a new space brings to the whole entire organization and then having the room to be able to find those more right people, more great people that fit our culture and bring them into what we have going on. Very excited about it. Yeah, that that's awesome. I, I bet you can't wait to stress test that back end, right? Can it handle that volume, right? That's, yes. No, that's I love exciting. it. You know what, what we find is that every time you think it's going to work, something breaks and then you fix that again real quick and then dump yep. some more revenue on it. Something else breaks. We patched that yep. back, you know, and I've learned that's what most business owners hate, right? It's my, also, my, my processes keep breaking. Things keep going wrong. I've learned that that's normal and I've learned to fall in love with that process. It's like a chess game for me. Where, you know, what are we going to do next? Where are we going to go? And so I've just, I've learned to love that part of business of the failing forward of the growing, you know, it's part of, it's part of it. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, I personally think that's where you learn and advance the most is in those situations where, where uh, something breaks or something doesn't go as planned and you're able to learn and grow from that. And, and you see beautiful things uh, happen from it. Uh, pain I'd does amazing know... things for people, you know, a pain absolutely. is a, it's a real prompter. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> Um, where do you see, uh, where do you see the industry in the next, you know, two to three years? Do you see it evolving or do you see it changing at all? I do. Um, I'm not, it's the changes that we're seeing in the industry. We're seeing, um, you know, there's a, there's a large conflict between contractors and carriers. I don't think that that's a surprise to anybody right. listening to this podcast probably is that there's a lot of turmoil between carriers and contractors. Now, what I'm hoping for the industry is two things. One, the carriers and contractors can start to get along. And the way that I believe that we're going to do that 
is by contractors don't need to be trying to invoice for trades that we're not doing and fluff estimates illegally to get paid for for work that we're not doing, period. Carriers on the flip side of that need to understand that the Xactimate program pricing is not always correct and that they need to pay out enough money to get the customer back to whole and we need to do this in a timely fashion. The thing that I dislike about the industry right now is that the only person that suffers between the carrier and the contractor conflict is the homeowner, is the property owner. We have a mutual customer in the property owner, and I hope in the next two to three years, carriers and contractors are able to start working together to create a good experience for our mutual customer, who is the policyholder. On the flip side of that, I'm, it's like I have a dream, right, that all the good contractors <laughs> start sticking together. And yeah. with that same thing being said is we uphold actual market pricing. We don't waive deductibles. We don't cut corners to come in cheaper. We build quality work correctly because that's setting the waterline to fair market pricing. I think what a lot of these chuck in a trucks don't understand is that when they're willing to do a roof for 40% less than the roof actually costs to do correctly, two things happen, especially in my market. One of those is that the homeowner gets shorted on quality construction and they don't know the difference. They don't know a difference in a layover. They don't know the difference in improper ventilation or are we using proper flashing or, you know, how the actual construction part of the roof is going on. All they see is that price tag. And I think that that confuses consumers and it definitely is lowering the quality of construction in DFW. Also, what happens is the carrier will use the low bid and set. I mean, I've actually had this said to me before. Well, Joe Blow Roofer up the street said he would do it for $3,000 less. And sometimes they'll even suggest to Miss Jones that she goes with Joe Blow Roofer that's going to do it for $3,000 less. And, you know, I think it's practices like that, that we're starting to see more people on both the carrier and the contractor side. We all want to come together because we're realizing that the back and forth of this is stressful and it, it loses money for everybody on every side. But it creates, most importantly, it creates a very poor consumer experience, which makes them dislike their carrier and their contractor because they're just frustrated, you know? And I would really like to see our industry continue to come together. And I do think that that's starting to happen. So the next two to three years, I see that continuing to get better. And I hope that I'm right. (laughs) Yeah. I I like the vision. I have a dream. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it picks up steam. Uh, you know, I, I see it as well just fr- from the outside. You know, I, I see the same things and uh, I'm optimistic that uh, that it will get better. Uh, we've got a, a few minutes left here, so I'd love to know um, where do you most often see others in the industry making a mistake and how can they avoid it? Internally or with their customer? Uh, I'll leave that interpretation up to you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I think, I think internally, a lot of company owners go wrong with not supporting or leading their team, not inspiring their team, not training their team is probably the biggest one. You have a lot of salespeople that are just salespeople, but they don't actually know their product. And I think that that leads to a lot of consumer confusion and poor construction as well. So, you know, I think that company owners really need to prioritize training the people that are out repping your brand and ensuring that they're able to provide the customer with the best experience possible. 
um, you know, externally to the customer. I think where a lot of people in our industry go wrong is they only know how to sell off a price, not off a value, which also leads to consumer confusion. And people make decisions. People can only make decisions based off the data that they're given. Now, we all want to save a dollar until we understand and realize why that dollar is going to cost us thousands of more dollars later. And, you know, it's really having the integrity to not be afraid to explain that out and educate your customer, even if that feels like you're going against what they want to hear, the integrity behind your brand has to be the most important thing. And the only way to create that experience to the customer is to make sure that the culture and the training internally will support the external experience of the customer. Yeah, absolutely. I agree there. A um, couple more questions here. So when you're not working, what do you like to do? I know you mentioned yoga and meditation. Is there other things yeah, that you so like to do outside of work? I love going to the lake. We have an MB, a wakeboard boat. So I love to wakeboard. I actually just started getting good about, and I say that, I'm not great, but I was <laughs> about two years ago, I started, I could actually jump the wake and get some air and, you know, switch and do all of the fun stuff. So actually all three of my kids also wakeboard. Blaze started wakeboarding when he was barely five years old. My wow. nine-year-old daughter rides and my almost 14-year-old son also wakeboards. So it's our family activity. We all love going out on the lake. Um, you know, we just bought a boat that's black and red. So it's our company colors too. Always be branding, right? <laughs> and um, But I love being out on the lake with my family. I love to wakeboard. I also love to watch my kids wakeboard. It's so much fun. That's, that's awesome. I know we love getting out on the lake, out on the water. Uh, yeah. or I should say the bay here. Uh, yeah. Um, we, got the, we got the Chesapeake Bay right here. Um, that's awesome. If people are interested in learning more about like your consulting services and getting in touch with you, what's the best way? Where should they go if they want to learn more? My website is www.ceo-af.com. And then they're always more than welcome to look me up on Facebook as well. Kimba Garcia, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and awesome. YouTube, most of the places. <laughs> so <laughs> on the major platform, I don't Twitter. That's, I guess the only okay. thing I don't do. I don't Twitter. I don't TikTok, but right. all the other places. And then, you know, my web, from my website, you can find all that though. My Facebook okay. group and all that kind of jazz. Awesome. And then last question here, what advice do you have for others with similar goals and ambitions that, you know, like, like you had mentioned, want to be CEO of their company? I mean, be ready for the pain. I said that a minute ago, right? Like the lot, a lot happens in pain. And if you're scared to get to throw yourself in front of the bus and get hit by all four wheels while you're down there to learn a lesson, you're not gonna, you're not gonna grow a stable company. You're not going, you have to go through the pain to get there and you have to be willing to grow and you have to be willing to continue to challenge yourself because again, your company can never outgrow and will never outgrow who you are as a human. So we've got to stop kidding ourselves. We've got to get a hold of our emotions internally so that we can wake up to win every morning with our best mindset. Every day that you're not 100% you, you've just cost yourself some of your creative geniusness that could have propelled your company and your team forward. So you have to really be ready to be the tip of that spear, to be ready to always be growing, to be willing to feel the pain and go through it. Pain is completely inevitable in life. We all go through pain. Some people just bitch about it more. And I mean, so, I mean, it's just, it is yeah. what it is. Some of us have more pain tolerance to the world and to growth. And I truly believe that to be a CEO on any type of high level, you have to have the endurance to deal with the pain and you have to be willing to survive that. 
Yep. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. Yeah, it's how you react to it as opposed to, you know, uh, I think that really makes the difference. Right. Because we all experience it. And it's what we yeah, do. And, it, it. and it's get comfortable in it. You know, it's like I was saying a second ago with this, the processes are going to break. Some of the people are going to suck. You know, some of the customers are going to be are going to try to trash your business. You're going to get a bad review. Like cash flow problems are going to happen. Right. So just be ready for that before you even mail in the LLC. Like <laughs> I'm fixing to mail off this paperwork. I'm going to create this business. And then it's going to be hell and I'm excited for it. I am yeah. excited for it. And you have to adopt that mentality. Yeah. You're going to get punched in the face. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> times. Be ready. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Smile through the blood. Well, it's all you can do. Right. Well, Kim, I really appreciate you joining us and, and appreciate you sharing this with our, with our listeners. So thank you very much. Thank you, Thomas. This was fun. I appreciate it. Well, that'll do it for today's show. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode of Leaps and Bounds. If you did, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review and subscribe to the podcast. We look forward to bringing you more exclusive conversations with some of the most successful home improvement leaders. If you're interested in learning more about Leap, be sure to check us out at leaptodigital.com or follow us on our social channels. Until next time, see ya.